Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week I'm going to take a deep dive look into Andor episode 10 titled One Way Out. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter at Force Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Force Ghost Conversations. We look forward to connecting with you on those platforms then. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our T Public store to buy some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it's time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. Welcome back, everybody, to another installment of Forest Ghost Conversations. And boy, is this an action-packed podcast in store for you all. And or episode 10, chef's kiss, ladies and gentlemen. What a fantastic piece of Star Wars. We're going to get into all that discussion, the spoiler talk of it all. But you all know what time it is right now. Before we get into all that, it's time to take a rundown of the news that has taken place in the Star Wars and Lucasfilm galaxy over the last week or so. And first, we got a big, 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 let me reiterate, reiterate here, big news drop about the Acolyte. So first, Lucasfilm has officially announced that filming has started for the upcoming Disney Plus series, The Acolyte. Along with this news and a behind-the-scenes image on set, the studio confirmed the main cast for its first season. So joining the previously announced Amanda Stenberg, who is famous for the film The Hate You Give, are Emmy Award winner Lee Jung-jae from the Netflix series Squid Game, Manny Jacinto from Nine Perfect Strangers and The Good Place, Daphne Keene from... His Dark Materials, the TV series, as well as the amazing film Logan. Jodie Turner-Smith, who is in Queen and Slim, a great movie in its own right. Rebecca Henderson from Inventing Anna. Charlie Barnett from Russian Doll. Dean Charles Chapman, who plays an incredible soldier in 1917, as well as, I believe, a Game of Thrones character. And finally, none other than Carrie Ann Moss, who is famous for her role in the matrix so additionally a little maybe a little spoiler territory here but we got a little synopsis uh from lucasfilm about the acolyte so here this is if you don't want to listen skip ahead maybe 15 20 seconds so forewarned on this one the acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the high republic era a former Padawan reunites with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. That sounds incredible. Very much looking forward to the Acolyte and how it's going to basically merge these two eras together, the High Republic era and the era of the Jedi that we know in the waning days of the Republic a.k.a. the Phantom Menace era. I believe this series is supposed to take place maybe 200 years? Don't quote me on that one before 
the Phantom Menace, or is it 60 years? I don't know why both numbers are popping up in my head, and I don't have the official number in front of me right now. But I know it's it's before the Phantom Menace, so just get that in your in your timeline for now. But this is going to be really incredible to see both the High Republic portrayed on screen for the first time. I have been a big fan of Phase 1 thus far. I haven't been able to jump into Phase 2 just yet because of grad school. It will be over one day soon enough. But this uh, this coming holiday break, I will certainly start diving into Phase 2 of the High Republic. And that is just a really wonderful, expansive world. The themes of, of what these characters go through in that series are spectacular, so I cannot recommend diving into that time frame enough. Speaking of the High Republic, happy book release week to The Art of Star Wars, The High Republic. Written by Kristen Baber, this coffee table book will provide you with insights into this expansive era of Star Wars, which is streamlined mostly by publishing initiatives. The art book will certainly help with providing faces to the many names and characters who we come across during Phase 1 of the High Republic series books and comics. So be sure to check out this new title as Phase 2 is now underway. And I can't reiterate enough, the High Republic is spectacular. So furthermore, you may have seen the cryptic teases this week on social media between Star Wars and Studio Ghibli, the famous Japanese anime studio. Eventually, it was later announced that a new hand-drawn animated short titled Zen, Grogu and Dust Bunnies would premiere on Disney Plus on Saturday, November 12th. The short was crafted by Studio Ghibli and features our favorite little guy, Grogu. Now, I have seen this short it's only three minutes long, and from my opinion, it is absolutely beautiful and a charming little piece about kindness. Be sure to check it out this week. I hope for more collaborations between these two incredible studios in the future. Now, finally, I wanted to provide some congratulations to several members of the Star Wars family as they took home many awards at the recent Saturn Awards ceremony in late October. To start, Star Wars The Bad Batch took home the Best Animated Series Award. Obi-Wan Kenobi also won the Best Limited Event Series Award for Streaming. Ming-Na Wen, our own Fennec Shand, won the award for Best Actress in a Streaming Series. And for her role as Reva, Moses Ingram won Best Supporting Actress in a Streaming Series. Lastly, our boy Hayden Christensen won Best guest starring performance in a streaming series for his incredible reprisal of Darth Vader in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Congrats again to all of the winners, and I look forward to seeing more and more Star Wars in the awards show headlines as we head into awards season on the other side of the holiday break. So with that, everybody, that is all the news that I had compiled for this week. We will be back on the other side of this very short break to get into our discussion of Andor Episode 10. Stay tuned. Okay, everyone, welcome back. And as alluded in the preamble, it's time to get into our Episode 10 discussion for Andor, the series and show overall that just keeps providing high, high-quality content Week after week. Andor is just this wonderful, wonderful cake that you're able to get after a long 
day's work. I mean, at least for me, I watch these episodes after I get home from grad school. So I'm typically nine o'clock at night after a, a 12 hour day or so, plus grad school on top of it. And whew, what a reward at the end of all of that. It's, it's just giving on all levels. And what I mean by that is you're getting a little bit of intrigue into the spy genre. You're learning so much about what it means to be in the dark times of the Empire's reign at this point. We're learning more about who Cassian is as a character. Who are the supporting members around him that create the operative of rebel intelligence that we find in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Chef's kiss. Truly incredible stuff. And before we get into all of the discussion here, forewarned to everybody, this is your spoiler discussion of episode 10 for Andor One Way Out. So if you haven't seen the episode... Pause this podcast right now, go watch it on Disney Plus, and then come right back to this moment in time. Trust me, you don't want to be spoiled to the stuff that is going to pop up in this episode. So with that, let's get into the discussion here. It is directed by Toby Haynes and written by Bo Willimon. They've done the last two episodes together here, so this is really concluding, if you will. I I imagine this is probably concluding it. Uh, This is concluding their three episode arc here uh, and and perhaps with the last two episodes those will start and conclude as, as season one comes to an end here another two episode quick mini arc but overall this has been some great stuff from 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 this duo i've really appreciated what they've done so far in this and we're going to get to really some great highlights throughout the rest of this discussion here so all i have to say at this point ladies and gentlemen is one way out one way out one way out I'm chanting it as long uh, uh, with alongside the the prisoners that are escaping, that are rising up together to overthrow this oppression, this tyranny that they are facing day in and day out. No one deserves to do what they are doing in this prison here. This unjust nature of of what they're being thrust into. It is just what an incredible episode, everybody. And let's get right into it. We pick up the story right after Kino Loy seemingly makes his commitment to joining Cassian's cause to escape the prison, right? Remember, no, never more than 12, as he concluded in the previous episode, episode 9. But Cassian does his best to pull him in a bit more. He says, power doesn't panic. 5,000 men are about to find out that they are never leaving here alive. There will never be less guards than tomorrow. Cassian is is pushing that they need to strike tomorrow. Tomorrow is the best time it needs to be done then for their escape. He's quite convincing to me, at least, that they need to move forward with their operation as soon as possible. But Kino seems a little hesitant. The plan works around the idea of the new man coming around, right? Olaf passed in the previous episode. That was really the impetus for all of this progression here. And when the new person comes in to replace him, that'll be their moment to strike. Cassian says this excellent line here. I'd rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. It's a great point by Cassian. It is do or die at this point. There's no time to waste and there is no time better than the present. It's a harsh reality for the prisoners to face their own mortality here. It is pretty clear now that there is only one way out, as the episode is titled and will later be chanted by the prisoners, as they try to escape. I also, you know, when Kino later tries to 
rally the other guys in this prison level 5 2D. Um, he says, quote, we are done with counting ships. There is only then and now, end quote. The tension in this episode is palpable already and could be cut with a literal knife. So back on Ferex, the Imperial presence seems to be strengthening. Cinta is still keeping an eye on everything, and it looks like now that there is an Imperial operative from the ISB watching over Marva too, in case Cassian comes home. And that's a little bit of a thread from the previous episode that they're going to now keep eyes on her. I think this will probably come up later in the episode, or not the episode, but in the series, so episodes 11 and 12. So put a mental pin in that in that one, I think there was a reason for them showcasing this this uh, this this portion of the episode because there's a lot. This is the only time they ever go back to Ferrix in the episode. So the fact that they're just like reminding you, hey, don't forget that this exists over here. It's important to note. We then join Mon Mothma, Takeholma, and Davos Golden. As you may recall, Davos Golden is the kind of gangster, if you will, that. Take Homa wants Mon Mothma to meet with as he knows the way to kind of coerce the Empire or get around, if you will, the way that they're now doing their banking transfers so that Mon Mothma can transfer her family money into this foundation that she said, which we, of course, as the audience know as being the pseudo fund that she's using to fund the rebellion. Now, Mon Mothma clearly seems to be dreading this conversation. You can tell that from her body language, and she's giving short answers and just enough information in order for Davo to feel appeased and welcome. To me, Davo does not seem to be a good person at all. He gives off the sense of someone who has had generational wealth and overall wealth for his entire life. Everything now to him is just lifeless and joyless to him you know, in my opinion, he, he just seems like just general rich scum. He shares that he can handle the transfer of the funds with the Empire's regulations without any, any problem, really. Mon Mothma asks him about his fee because she would rather pay him for his troubles than be in debt, which he says, I don't need any, any, any money. Uh, money's no good to me. I just want to come back to Coruscant. And, and he, he says, quote, a drop of discomfort may be the price of doing business, end quote. And that's really slimy, if you ask me. He would like, like I noted, he would like to come back to Coruscant with his 14-year-old son. He's have he's looking to have an introduction between his son and Mon Mothma's daughter. Now, Mon Mothma starts to crack in this instance. She immediately rejects the proposal. If the work that is completed by Davo is truly the only way for the funds to be transferred to the Rebellion amidst the Empire's regulations, then Mon Mothma will have to face a choice. Her daughter and family or the Rebellion? The idea of the arranged marriage is really what throws her over the edge. How can she subject her own daughter to the same process and institution that has caused her so much unhappiness, right? She's not looking forward to going home to parent every night. <laughs> perhaps you know they in an alternate reality these two do find love between one another davo's child and hers perhaps they don't mon Mosma's experience in this matter though is not positive and forms her viewpoint on the issue i pose the question back to you folks at home what do you think she will do will she find a third way around this i think that the choice may only be black and white though hard to say we'll have to find out what happens in the last two episodes here now, it looks to me 
you also get like a little like brief instance clip here at Luthen's Antiquities Den. And it looked to me like there was that headdress that Padme wears when her and Anakin travel as refugees and attack the clones. And that's a pretty cool Easter egg, if you ask me, especially someone that has an unabashed love for episode two, Attack of the Clones, and what it did for me as a kid. Now, I like how the prisoners are literally using the tools that the Empire provided them for their own salvation and survival. I find that oddly poetic and ironic at the same time. Cassian keeps working on that water pipe in the bathroom area from the previous episode. The plan is starting to make sense and to come together as to what they were trying to do. He's filing away at it, making ever so slowly progress, am I right? The pipe is surely fast and tight. The quick cuts in this sequence from a filmmaking perspective are really effective in adding to the stakes, the tension, and the drama of this scene. The water leak floods the floor eventually, and in a brilliant move, it short-circuits the floor when the prisoners start fighting back and the prison guards turn on the floor charges, right? They want to basically electrify them all, but they're unable to. This act of rebellion starts with a faked fight among prisoners as the new man comes down the lift. Cassian puts a rod into the lift to halt its progression, and then the prisoners begin to fight back, throwing materials at the guards, climbing up the walls. The most dangerous thing is when people have nothing left to lose. At that point, they have nothing to fear, even death. That gives them an advantage over the guards here who are terrified of the prisoners. The uprising of the prisoners is so, so powerful to me. They're literally pulling themselves up from the brink of nothing, rising above tyranny, above oppression. It's truly inspiring. The flooding of the floors falls to the lower levels too, signifying that clearly something is up and, and wrong. It's, it's out of the ordinary for this to be happening. The prisoners are so effectively able to take the initiative, taking advantage of the confusion, the hubris of the empire, the lack of training that these guards have for this moment. They never, ever anticipated that something like this could happen. And this is how they're able to take the day. <laughs> I am personally surprised that they, you know, Cassian and Kino, leave these two officers in the control room alive. But I guess they figured that they were useless anyways, who posed no real threat to their escape. Kino's speech is really good here to inspire the other prisoners to escape when he jumps on the intercom. He inspires them to take up arms. I love how Cassian puts Kino in this position, though, to make that speech. It's not Cassian making the speech. He understands that will be best coming from Kino rather than himself. Kino Loy has that voice that people want to follow. They believe in it. They resonate with it. They hear it. Cassian knows that. Kino is a respected member within this prison, from what I can tell. And the other prisoners will respond to his words better. That is real leadership on Cassian's part, if you ask me. Inspiring others is the true definition of leadership and what a leader does. He also pushes Kino to really deliver some hard truths, to be poetic in his delivery. It is powerful here. Although Kino is afraid, even timid, Cassian inspires him to provide the performance needed to take the day. Frankly, it is brilliant how he uses Cassian's words even to inspire the rest of the prisoners. And I love seeing the fear in the eyes of the Imperial Guards as they cut to them. How they cower. Their cowardly nature shows here. And it is true what they say. The Empire, the, or not the Empire, but the Emperor has no clothes. You know that old adage? Yep. 
perfect here. The only way to jump into the water is to know, I should say the only way out, right? One, only, one way out. The only way out is to jump into the water that surrounds Narkina 5 and to swim to shore. Heartbreakingly, at this moment in time when they're all literally on the edge, Kino Loy shares that he can't swim. It's ironic that he got this far only to be stopped by a skill that he does not possess. And I wonder if he if he tries swimming. Does he get pushed into the water like Cassian does? I am so, so hoping that this instance isn't the last that we see of Kino Loy. Now, perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it is. But at least he went down fighting one way or another. He wasn't going to be a pawn for the Empire for the rest of his existence until he gave his last breath. He gave his last breath on his own terms as a free person, if this is truly is the last time that we see him. Back on Coruscant, Luthen meets with Lonnie. You may recall Lonnie as being the ISB agent who is actually a turncoat for the Rebellion. Me and Mrs. Forsk's conversation surmised earlier in, our se in the season that perhaps he may be a turncoat for the Rebellion, which has now come to pass. Lonnie shares information that the ISB is looking for well, he shares information that the ISB is looking for Luthen and Cassian Andor, trying to connect the Aldani incident to this Axis character, which we know as being Luthen. He notes that the Krieger incident and how the ISB is going to take him out. And Luthen shares that Lonnie is worth more than Krieger, right? They could easily tip Krieger off that this is going to happen, but then they would know that there's someone inside sharing this information with the Rebellion. And... At that point, a voice in the ISB room is more important than another rebel cell. It is a powerful and harsh choice that Luthen has to make. And Lonnie certainly has doubts about his role in the rebellion. He's a father now, and he's scared of the repercussions of doing what he is doing. Being a double agent is lonely. It's hard. Lonnie has profited greatly from Luthen's information. And unfortunately, he's trapped. That's kind of the nature of the sacrifice of, of this pact that he's made with Luthen. He's climbed up this Game of Thrones ladder, if you will, to get to this boardroom in the ISB where he has a voice, where he has an opinion, where he's privy to these details and information that he's able to share with Luthen. And then Luthen gives him some tidbits every now and then so that the scent has kind of taken off his trail. And I get 100% that it's a scary, scary time, especially when it becomes more complicated now when you add family matters into the mix. So he cannot leave the ISB, and it's, a and it's a difficult reality, but it's one that he is stuck within. Lonnie asks Luthen about sacrifice, and what has Luthen sacrificed? And ladies and gentlemen, Luthen responds with the thesis of rebellion. And I'm going to read it verbatim here, because it is just so, so dang powerful. And, and asked when he's asked, what, what have you sacrificed? He says, calm, kindness, kinship. Love, I've given it all. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago, from which there's only one conclusion: I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from which there is no escape. I yearned to be a savior. 
against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is? What is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. No, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. Luthen has sacrificed everything for the rebellion and for a future, a reality, whatever you have it, something he will probably not see. Basically, a free and just galaxy. This is amazing work by Bo Willimon to craft this manifesto together. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this speech and the performance that Stellan Sarsgaard gives in this moment, his delivery of it all, if that doesn't propel him into a position of award contention this coming season. And I sure hope so. You could literally talk about any aspect of this stuff. It's all well-written. It is brilliant. You could put this on a poster, frankly, and just hang it on there. And it is the manifesto for any rebellion and for the folks that are trying to fight for a better tomorrow. I share my dreams with ghosts. I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. Wow. That's incredible, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are able to like reflect on that this coming week as you think about how this plays out in your own life, how you're able to create your own little rebellion. How are you fighting for a better tomorrow? Think about that as you go through your, your daily activities. So the episode then ends with Cassian and Melshi running off into the darkness. They have made their way to land from the water and are off on another adventure. What an amazing cliffhanger for next week, ladies and gentlemen. Where does Cassian go? Where is he and, and Melshi going? Are they going to get safely back to some place? Is Luthen going to track them down? Is Vel going to find them? Is Saw Guerrera somehow out there? What's going on? There's, I got a million theories in my head of what could possibly happen. And I just, I'm so thrilled that we're only a few days away from getting to see how this plays out in episode 11. And unfortunately, we're at the penultimate episode next week. So that means we only have one more after it. But the joy is we get to rewatch all of Andor afterwards. And I can tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, this is a really, really special series that Star Wars and Tony Gilroy has put together for all of us. So with that, that is all the notes that I had for this week's discussion of Andor Episode 10, One Way Out. And this concludes, of course, another trilogy arc of episodes from Episode 8, 9, and now 10. So just incredible work that Toby Haynes and Bo Willimon did in putting this arc together. So with that, everybody, that's all I had for this week. I hope you're enjoying Andor as much as I am. If you want to continue the conversation with us, as alluded to in our preamble, our opening sequence here, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. Just search Force Ghost Conversations and we'll be available on those platforms. 
we'd love to connect with you all. So shoot us uh, a message, a tweet, comment on something that we've posted. Let's talk about Andor. Let's keep the discussion going. Also, if you feel so inclined and you're loving Forest Ghost Conversations, leave us a review, a rating, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Willow is just around the corner. Andor is coming to a close. Bad Batch is coming up in the new year, too. Great stuff is coming around the corner. You don't want to miss out on all of our discussions, analysis, and so on and so forth. Finally, if you feel really inclined and you're loving Forest Ghost Conversations enough, be sure to check out our Tee Public store. We have links in all of our social media pages. You can also just go to Tee Public yourself, search for Forest Ghost Conversations, and you'll see our various designs for merchandise. If you want a Forest Ghost Conversations t-shirt, a throw pillow, it's all there. We have both our Star Wars-inspired logo, and we have our Willow-inspired logo as well. And with the holiday season around the corner, if you love Forest Ghost Conversations, if you have a, a family member or a close friend, colleague that loves Forest Ghost Conversations, and you want to treat them, be sure to check out that site. So with that, everybody, that is all that I had for this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed this installment of Forest Ghost Conversations. We'll be back next time, next week, discussing episode 11 of Andor. So get excited for that. Be sure to watch Andor in advance and check out the previous episodes. So until then, everybody, may the Force be with you. Have a great week. Bye.